celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Sleepyheads, and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. On this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this show, for one bedtime, we don't want them to bring their A game, but rather their Z game. It's a podcast where you can sleep. You can simply relax. You can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with Cameron Esposito. And she's going to tell me about five concerts and five relationships. But before that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. The Flop House is a podcast about bad movies, but it's really a podcast about three friends making each other laugh and deliberately getting on each other's nerves. For over 13 years, it's been hosted by former Daily Show writer Dan McCoy, former Daily Show and mystery science theater writer Elliot Kalin, and Brooklyn bar owner Stuart Wellington who the Onion AV Club has described as equally funny. An average Flophouse episode may include any or all of the following. Off-key, ad-libbed songs. Tom Brokaw describing the plot of the novel Dune. Werner Herzog announcing he's a bad little boy who loves chocolates. Recommendations of good movies. And a certain amount of talking about butts that may make you a little uncomfortable but not so much that it makes you very uncomfortable. The Flop House on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, sleepyheads and sleepyhead queeros, allow me to introduce my guest, Cameron Esposito. Cameron is a stand up comedian and actor. You can see her name on the cover of the book Save Yourself because she is an author of that book. Cameron is also the host of the acclaimed podcast Query, which is available on this network, the one where we have the maximum amount of fun permissible. Cameron has accomplished a million little things in her career, but I'll studiously avoid mentioning her various TV and film credits because I'm trying to not promote film and TV studio projects at this time. But you can trust me when I tell you that Cameron is a big deal and a good person. Cameron Esposito, welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. Hi, John. It's great to talk to you. I haven't seen you in a minute, and... When I say seen, I mean heard. Mm. You, you sound amazing. You sound really good. Hearing is the seeing of the ears. I like to start off these bedtime conversations with a question or two about sleep. Do you recall, mm. Cameron, the best night of sleep you've ever had? Oh, <laughs> I actually do. Uh, at least the recent, mm. the most recent. Best night, my best, most recent night. And um, <laughs> I was, you know where I was, John? Mm, where? Rehab. Okay. You know what I was, you know what happened? I you was were... medicated. Uh-huh. I was properly medicated. And now these days, that medication, um, I'm more used to it. And so it still helps me to sleep. But when I first took it, the difference between not being medicated and being medicated was so stark that I, uh, I've never slept better in my life Mm. that I can recall. How long, how many hours did you sleep? 
10. Okay. I'm usually a six hour. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. 10 hours. Do you usually sleep in the same position every night? I fall asleep on my back, but I wake up face down. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which they always, as for actors, they say, ruin your face. If you sleep on your face, you'll ruin it? Is that the idea? Um, technically, it <laughs> creates more wrinkles and loss of fat. Okay. Uh-huh. Ah, and you need the fat to keep yourself youthful looking. You got to take the fat out of other places and inject it in your face. That's part of being in this town. You know that, John. Well, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. So, But you know that in L.A., once you land, yes. they remove the fat and, and shoot it, it into, into your, your face. face. Right there at LAX, I believe. <laughs> they do. It's there's, part of the TSA there's pre. A sm- there's a small booth that they have set up. <laughs> it's, it's very unsanitary, too. It's just needles now, that have been carried by various passengers. Uh, yes? <laughs> we're going to talk about relationships, and we're going to talk about concerts. And I think we'll we'll talk about the concert as an entree into the discussion of the relationship. So at which concert would you like to begin our list of five? I'd like to begin with Neil Diamond in 1997. All right. Tell me about where was the concert? Um, It was in Chicago, Mm -hmm. Illinois, at the then United Center, which I think is called something different now. But it's where the Chicago Bulls played. Big arena. Big arena, yeah. And I was in high school. And it was my first concert, actually. Mm. I mean, some people in high school were listening to cool music. Yes. And some people were listening to Neil Diamond. But one thing I will say is that if you wait long enough, musical taste comes back around. And it does become cool that your first concert was Neil Diamond. At the time, I I don't think it was cool. (laughs) Who did you go to the concert with? So this is why I wanted to start with Neil, because not only was it indelible in terms of it being my first concert, but also I went with my first crush. Oh, tell me. So Spill that tea. Absolutely. Now, I probably had crushes before that, right? You know, we've all been in middle school, and I had a young lady that I walked to and from school with and mm-hmm. played various, like, you know, make em ups with around, uh, I don't know, adventures in the backyard or went on camping trips with. But we were little, you know, right. we were young. You're like 10. I didn't really understand what was happening in my body or why I want to spend time with her. And it is confusing when you're a young queer person, especially a young queer person in the 1990s, because I didn't know that queer people existed. So I'm in middle school when bodies are confusing anyway. I have this crush on my friend. Nothing's going to happen. And, you know, I'm going to date a boy when I was in eighth grade for three days, and he's going to break up with me when I call him from a payphone at the public pool. So, like, that's, you know, maybe my first crush. But my first, like, crush, you know, where it crushed me Mm. um, was my best friend in high school, Jamie. Jamie, with Mm -hmm. whom you went to Neil Diamond. That's right. Jamie and I actually went everywhere together. Her Her parents had a lake house in Wisconsin. Um, Her sister played on a traveling soccer team that we sometimes flew to different places to go see. We would drive in this giant conversion van. I don't even know if they make those anymore. I think they just have 14 passenger vans now that are that different thing. But at the time, it was like the biggest vehicle you could drive that wasn't a semi-truck. Nice. And and so (laughs) did... Did Jamie understand the Neil Diamond concert to be a date, or were you just pals? I didn't understand it to be a date. Neither of us did. Okay. I think ostensibly we were pals. Mm. But she 
and I had music in common. You know, there were a lot of songs that made me think of her, all of Shania Twain's album. There's a lot of songs that still make me think of her. Going to see Neil Diamond, however, whose entire oeuvre (laughs) is about obsessive and interested love. Yes. Was a very particular experience with this young woman. Did you have romantic stirrings from Neil's music? (laughs) I'm pausing because I don't even know how to answer that. Mm. I feel like Neil's music is more toss your head back and scream along, which Uh I think for two 16-year-old girls can be romantic stirrings. It's just maybe not what you're thinking of when you ask that question. Right. Like, I'm thinking of during Heartlight, did your eyes connect and you knew that it was love, just like Neil's love for E.T. the extraterrestrial in that song? (laughs) It wasn't like that. It was like... It was a different kind of love. It was a love around... It was a love that revolved around, I think, an early idea of taking care of each other. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't so much eye contact during that song, but more me going to get nachos because I knew Jamie was hungry. You know, it was like this early version of Playing House that Mm -hmm. I think was quite sweet and that I really didn't have with my boyfriend at the time. So you had a boyfriend, but you were with your crush. Right. I wouldn't have described it as such. Because, right. again, confusion. She had a boyfriend, too. Mm. It's just that. Uh, and I went to see a lot of music with my boyfriend. A lot of music. But, but nothing, he, yeah. nothing quite made me feel um, like listening to music with Jamie. Do you remember which songs Neil saved for the encore? You know, I don't know what were... I don't recall any order of the songs. The moment I remember is Forever in Blue Jeans. I have no idea where that was positioned in the lineup. I just know that in my heart, that was the headlining song. (laughs) I don't even think that's a song that he would play at the end. But boy, did it stick with me. Well, according to the internet, um, this, well, this says 1996. Is it possible this was? It's possible it was 1996. You know what I didn't do was check any of the years. It's just when I think these things happened. Excellent. So I bet it was 96. According to setlist.fm, the encore was Cracklin' Rosie. Oh, there we go. Sweet Caroline. That makes sense. And something called Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show. Oh, that's actually a good song. Okay. (laughs) Cracklin' Rosie makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously Sweet Caroline, but I think that when thinking about what I described earlier, this sort of tossed back heads and screaming, sort of like a Muppet who's very excited. Sure. That makes sense for, that's a Cracklin' Rosie vibe. That's a crackling, yeah, arms flayed out to the side as you... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad you're going to check my ears because I didn't. Well, and I don't see Heartlight on here anywhere. There's Forever in Blue <laughs> Jeans, there's Song see, there Song Blue. There's oh, God, love I love that rocks. song too. Oh, my God. <laughs> you Don't Bring Me Flowers, presumably <laughs> without Streisand. Oh, my God. All right. Do so you she- love any of these songs, John? Did any of that do anything for you? Any of the titles you just listed? You know, the more I read them, the more I realize how much I love Neil Diamond. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hello Again was was number two in the set list right after Crunchy Granola Sweet. (laughs) I have no memory of that, but it is what I eat for breakfast. Maybe sometimes it's okay to arrive to the show late. Um, <laughs> so that was mid-90s Chicago, Neil yes. Diamond, and the relationship was your crush, Jamie. Yes. What's what's our number two concert on our list here? Okay, so by my memory, I positioned it 
I positioned it at around 2003. <laughs> okay. And this is uh this is with my first girlfriend. Her name is Callie, and we went to go see Dashboard Confessional. Oh, Dashboard. Where was this? This was in Providence, Massachusetts. I mean, prop this was in Providence, Rhode Island. I have no memory of the what the venue is called. And again, I didn't look it up. What I can tell you is that it was a rock club, that it was a standing room only show. And okay. that in the early aughts, there was perhaps no more heart-wrenching sound than the sound of Dashboard Confessional. Mm. So this was your first girlfriend where everybody understood that this was not a crush. This was an actual yeah. legit relationship. An actualized experience. Okay. Was this your first concert together? It might have been our only concert together. Music wasn't a big part of my relationship with this woman. She and I traveled a bit. She's the first person I went to New York City with. And the mm. first time I emerged from the subway in New York City, I guess there was music playing. It was the annual Scottish Day Parade that involves giant groups of competing bagpipers. So we oh. exited into that version of New York City, which I've not been able to recapture since. But we went to New York. We also went to the Cape. I went to Provincetown, Massachusetts with her for the first time. She and I... Also, we cooked a lot together, and I didn't really know how to cook before I met her. When I say cooked, I mean we made, like, macaroni and cheese. Right. But it just involved a pot, you know, and water. And even that was, at that time, beyond me. I also right. um, went to see my first gay movies in the movie theater. I went to see my first stand-up comedy show with her. We saw Margaret Cho, who I'm now friends with. How did you meet Kelly? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, we were both involved with the social justice contingent of students at my college. And we were going um, on a trip to Kingston, Jamaica, this is so intense <laughs> to work at a leper colony. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No wonder you fell in love. Absolutely. It ended after we went and did that. Then the trip ended with a three day silent retreat. I mean, wow. the drama, the young lesbian drama, unmatched, <laughs> unmatched. How long did this relationship last? We dated on and off for about four years. Okay. Through college? Absolutely. Through college, a little bit after college. And there's a particular um, dashboard song that has the lyrics, your kiss might kill me, but I'll die happy. Mm. And I think that, you know, during that whole four years that we were together, I was so distraught around coming out to myself and the people in my life that that really is how I felt. I don't know how Chris Caraba, who is the lead singer and writer for Dashboard Confessional, I don't know how he understood the lesbian experience, but he and the Beach Boys um, are the two bands that I listened to at the time that sang about a certain type of longing for a woman that I didn't actually see reflected elsewhere in music. <laughs> like, there's a lot of music about, like, fuck you, we're breaking up. There's a lot of music about I'm so happily in love. But the idea of you're out of reach and I wish that we were together, like, that is something that Olivia Rodrigo has a little bit of a market on these days. But yes. in the early 2000s, it was really dashboard. Are you at a truck stop? Oh, John, I'm sorry. There was the, gar <laughs> the garbage truck just drove past okay. me. Okay. I, I did. Usually I ask people, but everybody always says you can't hear it. So <laughs> they've all been lying to me. Okay. Well, I do I, live at a truck stop, but, I, that, live, yeah. but that wasn't the sound you heard. That's, that was a garbage truck. <laughs> but, but you're at your garbage truck studio now. 
which, oh God. which bin was just... Do we have to just, re-record something or did we no, just wake ab- everybody up? Absolutely not. No. It's, <laughs> um, which bin was just collected? It was, was it the green, blue, or black? It's the blue. The blue oh, was here collected. it goes. Now it's going to make a beeping noise. Okay. Every time the truck goes past, I always ask the people that I'm talking to, can you hear this? <laughs> These bunch of liars. Well, it's, I'm often podcasting. I can't, I literally can't believe people have been lying to me <laughs> to this I, degree. I spent a lot of time in public radio with uh, with very nervous engineers who would get very twisted up about things like this. So I, I've I've learned to uh, to listen closer than I probably need to. I don't think that's true. I think you and I probably have the same instinct and everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is wrong. Okay, so we have Neil Diamond with Jamie. We have Dashboard Confessional with Callie. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to concert number three. I'm going to guess that it is 2008. <laughs> 2008. <laughs> I really hope that your listeners check all of these years and tell me what years these things happened in my life. I, that honestly sounds great to me. Do the I, research for me. I couldn't get a good read on, on Dashboard Confessional in Providence, Rhode Island. So I'm oh. just taking your word for that one. That, I mean, um, some of this is like a mildly pre-internet time. Yeah. You know, yeah. there might have been an ad in the newspaper. <laughs> right. <laughs> I might have seen it in the back of the Boston Phoenix. Right. Anyway. So 2008, who do you go see and who do you go see them with? So I went to see D'Antwoord um, with my then girlfriend, Z. She is Z. the first woman I ever lived with. She is South African. And when we heard of this, there. I guess they're, I guess they're a rap group. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a huge breakout song in South Africa, but then also in the U.S. And they were coming to uh, the Bucktown neighborhood in Chicago, I believe, to the Subterranean. Name okay. of a rock club there. This seems much more um, very different from where you were ten years ago at the United Center seeing Neil Diamond. My musical taste and the experiences I've had is eclectic. Mm. I mean, this is, I'm just listing five, but, you know, a part of my job is that I can kind of get free tickets to anything because I work at the same venues with the same ticket brokers as everybody. There's only like four people that own all venues. And that's really unfortunate for me when I purchase tickets. And it's unfortunate for America but it's also mildly beneficial if you want to go to shows for free. Right, right. It, it's a it's a perk. It's mm-hmm. a, that's what they call that. Yes, yes. There's a lot of perks that that a career in in comedy don't really offer, but uh, but this is one of them. Yeah, stability, um, an ability to confront your emotions directly. I mean, those are things that it doesn't offer. Health insurance. That- <laughs> Health insurance. Long-term non-competitive friendship. Right. Those are those 401K. are things. 401k. Yeah, exactly. Parking those are things spots. one one has to go outside of stand-up right. uh, to pursue. Yeah. Right. But in terms of what stand-up offers, it's um access to microphones that smell terrible and free tickets to concerts. Tell me about the D Antwoord concert in Chicago. So more than standing room, it's a, a packed, jumping, condensed group of people, wall to wall. It's a small room. The two members of this band who I had seen the day before eating lunch at a diner and told them I was really excited about their show and then walked away quickly, which is what you should do if you encounter somebody in the world who you're a fan of. Yes. Don't even wait to see what what registers on their face. Just yell and leave immediately. <laughs> so Maybe even toss it over your shoulder as you're already out the door. Right. Just to preserve your own humiliation and theirs. But... This particular show, um, yeah, 
I mean, super high energy, kind of wild. I think there was some crowd surfing, which mm. I've only which I've only ever done uh, one time, and it was not during this show. Okay. It was uh, surprisingly during a "They Might Be Giants" performance. Oh, mm-hmm. what was the song? Mm, I I don't know, okay. but surely none of their songs require crowd surfing i i was part of a uh, a arena-wide conga line out of they might be giants concert now that sounds right where they're playing in a a, a small arena and uh, and john flansberg yelled everybody conga and then they were playing conga <laughs> and then nobody got up to conga and then he said I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> and then everybody got together and did a conga line. It was very, very nice. I think I'm, I, I have been on a cruise with John because of a young man named Jonathan Colton, who sure. some, there might be some Max Fun listener crossover ship. The Joe and, Crow Cruise. Uh, yes. And I didn't tell him that his band is the only band I've ever crowd surfed to. So hopefully he's a listener for this show and hasn't um, already fallen asleep by the nice. time that that's been revealed. Nice. I've tried for for years to get booked on the Joko cruise, but long conversations about mental illness just have never really been the draw that they were looking for. <laughs> but maybe now with this show, the sort of bedtime story thing, we can be in luck. Actually, that would be... Look, I'm not the person who programs that, but I'd listen to this right before drifting off on the open seas. Right, drifting away on the open seas. I mean, there's even a there's a there's a PA system. Oh, see, right there. Something to think about. How did the date with Z go at the D Antwoord concert? Sleepyheads, Maximum Fun, as you may know, is a co-op. It is owned by its employees, and Co-Optober continues in celebration of National Co-op Month. This week is all about community. To celebrate, there will be another Max Fun Meetup Day this Thursday, October 12th. And next week, they'll be hosting a panel discussion with other worker owners across the Co-op community. Current Max Fun members can still purchase limited edition Launch Crew merch, which is only available to Max Fun members and only through the end of the month. For more information on Meetup Day and everything Co-Optober, head to maximumfun.org/coptober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R, and have a great week. How did the date with Z go at the D. Antwoord concert? When we went to this show, we were already living together. And we had so much fun at this show. And I just remember feeling so lucky to be with her. I mean, um, some of the music is, there's some Afrikaans in the music, and that's her first language. And... So she was really excited to hear that. And the music was good. The energy was wild. And I was in my mid-20s, and I was pursuing stand-up for a job. And she was a dancer. She was a modern dancer. And just the energy of that moment, like that for me encapsulates that whole feeling of the beginning of all of my adult life. You know, if... Jamie was my first like beginning of a sexual awakening. And if Callie was my first understanding of self, then this moment with Z was really the most solid or one of the most solid memories I have of just feeling like I was going to have a great life and that the doors were open to me and that being queer was amazing and that my girlfriend was beautiful. I mean, it just felt like possibility. And um, How did you meet? We met 
She was my sister's best friend. Oh. How did your sister feel about this relationship? <laughs> um, at the time, my sister and I were roommates, and then I moved out to live with Z. And I'm sure that was hard for her to deal with. Older she, sister, younger sister? Yeah, it's my big sister. Okay. But she she was fairly graceful about it. That's good. Thank you That's to her. <laughs> Thank you, sister. How long did that relationship last? It lasted for maybe it lasted for three years. And then okay. um Z's visa ran out and she had to go home to South Africa for a while, not a while, for a month. I went and lived there to see if I could move. And just with where I was beginning to launch a career and the difference in opportunities, I didn't stay. And so the relationship didn't survive our long distance. Mm. It was also pre-marriage equality, so we couldn't get married and affect her status in the U.S. And, so there, um, there wasn't a thriving stand-up scene in South Africa for you? I, I did stand up there, which was really amazing. I I don't know if the stand-up scene was thriving. What I do know is that I had just gotten my little baby foothold in Chicago. And, uh, you know, again... I couldn't just stay there and make TikTok clips. I had to be somewhere that I could be seen by the biggest entertainment industry for stand-up in the world, which is in the U.S. Right, right. This was before TikTok. Yeah, there was nothing to do. So we have Neil Diamond with Jamie, Dashboard Confessional with Callie, D Antword with Z. Give us concert number four, if you will, Cameron Esposito. Absolutely. Concert number four is St. Vincent, and mm-hmm. this is at the Gorge in, in Washington State. Washington State, yes. What year and, is this? So again, <laughs> vagaries. No, I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> 2015. Okay, that sounds about right. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, at Sasquatch Music Festival. Absolutely. I don't know if you saw the rest of the lineup, but I too was playing Sasquatch Music Festival. All right. The, in the, what did they call the comedy venue? The comedy tent? Yeah, comedy I was in the comedy shed. tent, okay. which absolutely had 100% sound bleed from the much louder and more raucous music. It's very challenging to perform at a mu- in an outdoor music festival in a tent because it turns out like music always wins. Hmm. I mean, I've I've been performing and had Sam Smith, Elton John, and Snoop Dogg playing within earshot. <laughs> like not at the same time. Those are three different times. I don't know why I kept accepting these bookings. They, they hadn't formed a, a super group. <laughs> Please may they. Please may they. With Martha Stewart on the ones and twos. There you go. So St. Vincent at the Gorge, 2015, May 24th. Yes. Um, And who was the date for this this concert? I was with my ex-spouse, River. Okay. And was River... uh, is also a, a comedian. Was River performing at the venue as well? No, River was traveling with me. Okay. And... St. Vincent was, I mean, first of all, it was incredibly windy, and the gorge is just that. Behind the stage is a giant crevasse in the earth. And River and I, we were either engaged or newly married. I, for some reason, can't do the dates of um, how months go compared Mm. to years, but... um, we had a TV show out and, or that we were working on. And my stand-up career was at a place where it was now actually a way I could make a living. I had moved to LA. I was able to get married. And 
Annie Clark, who is St. Vincent, is the most amazing guitarist I've ever gotten to see because I never saw Prince. Mm. And I was also watching her from a catwalk. We were watching her from a catwalk, um, sort of almost like above and next to the stage because I had passes to be there since I was on the festival. And again, it was just this moment of feeling like I had arrived in my mission as a person. I had arrived in a relationship that I really appreciated. And I was watching a woman fucking shred. (laughs) (laughs) I've gotten to see her two other times. And she is still one of my most favorite people to see perform live. I mean, holy shit, can that woman perform? Okay. Did were there other acts that you also saw at that concert that stayed with you? Sounds like St. Vincent was I kind don't of remember the everybody that was on the lineup, but I do remember that Lana Del Rey was there and that Lana Del Rey was extremely mad because the wind kept whipping her hair into her mouth and she was having a hard time continuing to sing in her usual moody fashion because she had to fight so much wind and hair that she sat down on the edge of the stage and smoked a cigarette in utter defeat. (laughs) I feel like that's good for Lana Del Rey. I feel like I'm, I'm oddly glad that she's suffered some adversity. Well, also, I think for her fans and for... I mean, she sounded great. I will say that. And for her fans and what she's trying to convey, which is old Hollywood glamour, perhaps mixed with the current day frustration, Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better example of that. Like, Beyonce is never going to get her hair in her mouth. Like, that's not going to happen. But, like, Lana, like, she's going to be confounded by video games and modern men, but she's also going to look amazing while doing it. I could see her getting tripped up by an errant piece of hair. Like yeah. it just it was exactly right. It was it was an obstacle that that she that was it, it was, was an obstacle that she her. overcame. Yeah. Yeah. With with the help of cigarettes. Absolutely. <laughs> What's the best concert you've ever been to? Well, that's actually the final one on this list. Perfect segue. I mean I hope we haven't jumped too far ahead. I don't think we have. We're, we're... I, I will also say, I want to mention that River was the perfect person to be at that show with because that is a person who really appreciates music and the technicalities of guitar work. And the two of us were so fucking jazzed to see her. And it is really something to be having the same experience as the person you're with. Because often that doesn't often happen, mm. especially in something like art. You might like something a different amount than the person you went there with. So that is, I think, also what helped make that show. Is River a guitarist? No, but grew up around guitars. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So then let's let's... Bring it on home to number five here. What's what's number five concert on our list? Best concert I've ever seen. Best concert ever. As uh, Taylor Swift, 2023. Taylor Swift. Here at SoFi Stadium. Recent, recent uh-huh. concert. Yeah, and that is uh, that was with my wife, Katie. Okay, tell me about this concert. Well, the first thing I'll say is I am a late adopter of Taylor Swift fandom as somebody who's been lucky enough to see a lot of people that are in the dashboard confessional or D'Antwerp or St. Vincent pantheon. You know, I think those are artists who have a lot of cool points, Mm -hmm. you know? And when I first um, came to my relationship with Katie, she loved Taylor Swift. And I said, and I just was blown away 
by the fact that anybody could love her as an artist. I think that in general, some of culture has caught up since mm. since this time in the same way that I did. Right. Um, you know, some of that was misogyny, just looking at a young woman who's blonde and young, tall and young and thinking that she can't have an indelible impact on the music industry. Right. Um, I think some of that is also the content of her early music, especially, which plays very young because she was very young. Yes. And uh, anyway, this don't a, you worry. This My, was a long concert too, wasn't it? Oh, two and a half, three hours. And thank God, by the time I saw Taylor, I had now spent years changing my tune. Hmm. You know, watching her documentary on Netflix, listening to all of her records, being extremely excited about the three albums that she released during COVID. I mean, the truth of the matter is Katie was right. Taylor is one of the artists of our time in terms of staying power and an ability to self-express in terms of the power she holds behind the scenes and the way she is able to cultivate a fandom. I mean, as a business person, she's a genius. As a lyricist, she's incredible, and I relate to a ton of her work. And then that the final piece, performance. But how is she as a performer? And I will say, holy shit, that woman can turn it on. Okay. Now, I don't want to introduce any controversy into this conversation. You Come don't on, have baby. to answer this, but did you see Beyonce this year? I didn't see Beyonce this year, but I have seen Beyonce previously. Okay. okay. And Beyonce is amazing in concert. All right. That's, and there, we, we needn't choose one over the other. We can live in a world where we, both, where we adore both Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Yes, I think there is an additional factor here that plays into how incredible this concert was, mm. which is I was one of the lucky few that was able to get a pre-order code for Taylor, and I actually got tickets like from Ticketmaster at a time when it broke oh. all of our ability to access our own emails and stuff. You, you know, went you in remember. through the front door. You didn't. You didn't use your Hollywood connections to get. No, these no, tickets. baby. I bought, <laughs> bought tickets like a like a like some regular guy. Nobody Did you has. used to hang out with Ticketmaster at parties after comedy shows and become <laughs> friends. Again, I usually go in through the venues. So no, Ticketmaster and I have never met. Okay, but I do hope to be invited to their birthday party. Uh, I waited in line. I hit refresh. I got Taylor tickets. I also um, invited my wife to go. And on the night of the tickets, she had a work event that took her out of town. So she was not able to go. Wow. And I made the decision to sell those tickets. And I wanted to say black market, but that's not what this is. <laughs> Going through like a ticket app a ticket service yeah and a buy ticket tickets for a for a different night okay. so a um, broker yes yeah okay. and i will say that look i do i'm so happy about the living that i make i also am a working actor a working comic you know i have bills my summer vacation budget is what I spent on Taylor Swift tickets. And so <laughs> we had pretty good seats. Yeah. Yeah. A satisfying experience. Where it was a satisfying experience. Where did you meet Katie? I met Katie. Um, we worked on a book together. It's called Save Yourself. And um, she used to work at my agency. She wasn't my agent, but she did help launch that book. Okay. 
and first we met just through phone calls, um, you know, really professional business-like phone calls. And then I was in New York where she lived at the time to do a show. And she came to the show. And when I met up with her afterwards, I was confounded to find out that she was very friendly, very smart, and real cute. Did you have to wait until the book came out before you were legally allowed to date each other? Such a good question. Um, no, but we did have to disclose it to her job. Mm. <laughs> that seems which is fair. a weird conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. How do you go about doing something like that? Well, I didn't because okay. that wasn't my part of things. Right. Uh, she had to handle that herself. She did. Yeah. Do you have other concerts coming up that you have your eye on, or are there other concerts that uh, that are on your bucket list of, of things that you want to see? This fall, and I will be purchasing tickets to these shows, I am super excited to see uh, Muna and Boy Genius. Mm. And uh, I want to also add, look, I'll get... I'll get free tickets when I can, but never for queer artists. <laughs> you always pay the tickets. You pay artists the tickets for the queer artists. Pay to see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I call the straight tax. Okay. You got to cough up a little bit more to support them. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, it's it would be quite a festival, I have to say, if if. Uh, they were booking another show at the Gorge to book in Neil Diamond, Dashboard Confessional, D. Antwerd, St. Vincent, and Taylor Swift. I mean, it's... I, Especially if D. Antwerd was somehow the headliner and Taylor had to open for them. Absolutely. John, can I ask you? Yes. Do you have a favorite concert? My favorite concert I've ever seen was in 1989, and I was a, I believe I was a junior in college at uh, a small school called Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. Hmm. And there was a band coming through town from Seattle. We had bands from Seattle fairly regularly. And they were a grunge band that had just been signed to a major label, and they were called Soundgarden. Hmm just before they broke huge where the when their bass player was getting ready Shit. to quit the band to go to grad school in physics it was one of his oh last God. concerts and they played in a very small gymnasium uh that was dark and hot and they ripped our faces off for about 2 hours and i was i was <sighs> 20 21 years old and felt like I would live forever. That's it. That's yep. that moment that I'm talking about over and over again in these experiences, even though I was very different ages. <laughs> yes. And even though trials, tribulations, ups and downs had happened, I think a good show always makes me feel that way. And I hope that as a performer, I hope I ever make anybody feel like that. I would also add for any young comics that might be listening listen man it's gonna be brutal it's a tough job mm. you're gonna miss holidays your friends are gonna have dinner parties and you won't be there you're, gonna you're not bomb. gonna be sure how to oh god you're gonna eat shit frequently <laughs> you're you're gonna not know how to have children work into the process but you may you may you may get to have free tickets to see shows and hey <laughs> The trade-off is that brief feeling that you're going to live forever. Cameron Esposito, thank you so much for joining us, and good night. Good night. Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about Cameron's five concerts and five relationships as much as I did. You know, 
something I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to put together a list of takeaways from my conversation with Cameron Esposito right now while it's fresh in my mind. 1. Young love can happen anywhere, even a leper colony in Kingston, Jamaica. 2. The podcast industry is lousy with liars who say they cannot hear trash collectors in the background of Cameron Esposito's microphone when they actually can. 3. There are four people who own all the concert venues. 4. If you spot a public figure you greatly admire while you're out, you should let them know how much they mean to you by shouting something nice while running away from them. 5. If you're performing stand-up at the same time Elton John or Snoop Dogg are performing, you and your little microphone will not be able to compete with that. 6. Annie Clark of St. Vincent can fucking shred on guitar. 7. In a battle between wind and Lana Del Rey, bet on wind. And 8. Cameron will take your free tickets, unless you're a queer artist. If you're queer, expect to get some money from Cameron. Okay, I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and Cameron Esposito. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on Twitter and TikTok using the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music for our program is provided by the Winterbowers. The show is senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. This is a production of Maximum Fun and Papochik. I'm John Moe. Night-night. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.